All right, and this week we're here with Brian Scarborough, a great trombonist from Kansas City. Um, man, how are you doing in light of everything? Just to keep everyone in the loop, it is now May 25th uh, when we're recording this, so we're uh, it's a quiet Memorial Day in a coronavirus-filled world, man. How's, how's life? Well, yeah, thanks for taking some time to talk with me. Um, things are okay, you know, it's, it's definitely a interesting world we're living in and i definitely miss making music uh with with my peers but um you know all things considered life is okay staying home and trying to stay healthy and take care of take care of things so yeah but excited to excited to be moving forward with this project and um still looking forward to getting that out so yeah and this this project that he he kind of alludes to here is we have his album Sunflower Song uh coming out on the label um August 7th if I'm not mistaken of this year. Um man how does that feel now to kind of cuz we're in, you know, the the ending steps it's a different ball game now you're not having to like worry about recording or or any of that and now we're just focusing on getting the album out there. How is that how's that gone? Like when did you start writing the music for this record? Sure. So yeah, it definitely feels great to be at this stage of the process. Um, it, it definitely is interesting because, you know, we recorded this record back in January. Um, but that seems like another world at this point. So it's, it's kind of interesting that we're going to release it and it will just be a very different time, even though it's only been a matter of months since it was recorded. But, uh, the music for this, um, the oldest song I wrote when I was living in Chicago, um, but most of the music has been written, uh, when I've been living here in Kansas City and, um, performed by this uh, version of the quintet and uh, uh, some other versions of the quintet in the past. And so the music has been written over the last few years and um, just kind of like sort of like improvising, you know, sometimes you you have a good solo, sometimes you have a bad solo. And I feel like that's been the writing process. I think that's just part of the process. Um, so but but just trying to keep writing through the years and um i think over time kind of developing a little bit of a style and a little bit of my own voice kind of um and that's been uh elevated and and you know i think a big part of just the evolution of that has been playing with this particular version of the band um just great musicians great people who push me and who take risks in performance so i think that has been a big part in kind of the evolution of the compositional style but um, yeah, I think the, the album originally was going to be eight tunes. Um, and the last tune that got written wasn't, it wasn't even in the picture, but it was, I tolerate you, which is my contrafact. Um, and I was working on a, uh, an etude project last fall. And then all of a sudden I started hearing this tune and I took it into the next gig, um, uh, with the quintet and it worked out really well. So that was the last one to come into play was, hmm. um, in the fall, but. Some a majority of these tunes have been in the book for you know I would say six months eight months to maybe a year year and a half so so you know you were in Chicago because correct me if I'm wrong you did uh, your masters in Chicago right at DePaul or yes I I did my masters at DePaul um, from 2013 to 2015 okay uh, so what brought you back to to Kansas City because you know I think um often you know, Kansas City might not necessarily be something that we think of for its music scene today. I think people are still thinking of like New Orleans and and New York and Chicago and like Kansas City is that more um, like the city that has like the historical credit given to it for the, sure. the great people that came from it. So, 
you know, how do you feel being in Kansas City now and, and, and what brought you back to it? And, and what do you what do you think of that scene having been in like another large uh, a metropolitan area like Chicago? Sure. Yeah. So I definitely I, I grew up in. Well, I was born outside of Chicago and okay. we moved to Kansas City when I was young. So I grew up here and I went to KU, University of Kansas, and did a degree in trombone performance. And I moved to Chicago for my master's, and then I moved back. So it seems that through life, I've just kind of, kind of gone back and forth. Um, but I grew up here, and uh, during my undergrad, and in high school and then into my undergrad was when I started playing more, uh, getting you know in touch and getting to know some of the other jazz musicians in town, starting to play with some of the other, like some of the musical theater companies here in town. Um, and then when I finished my undergrad, I definitely wanted just something different because I'd been here for so long. I just wanted to challenge myself and kind of, uh, just kind of see what would happen to throw yourself into the fire and move somewhere where you don't know anybody, where nobody knows you and just kind of start over. Um, and I thought again, grad school was a great way to do that. And, and I fell in love with DePaul when I was kind of doing my whole grad school search. So I moved to Chicago and, um, I really enjoyed playing there for a couple of years and obviously did my, my studies as well. But I, I think the thing that I really enjoyed about Chicago was just how big the scene was and how, again, you know, coming, going there and not being known, it was kind of, you know, it's a challenge just because, you know, you have to, you do have to start over. So you got to make sure that you're going to sessions and meeting people and, um, and then, but through that process, also just meeting some, you know, true veterans of, of the music scene, people that had been on the road and, uh, you know, with Frank Sinatra and I played a, a gig at Andy's with Tom Matta's big band. And the guy who played lead trombone that night used to play lead trombone for Frank Sinatra. And I just remember mm. leaving and be like, man, like it was just, it was, it just absolutely blew me away. Just, you know, the veteran musicianship and, the depth of the scene was just really inspiring. And then you go to sessions too, and you'd see people you'd never seen before and they're just totally killing. So, um, it was, it was great and intense. And I, I really enjoyed that. I think one of the reasons that I moved back to Kansas city was, you know, I was kind of reflecting on what I wanted, um, my career to look like at the infant stages, you know, kind of just getting out of school and, um, getting into the, the working world. And, I really wanted to just start working. Like I didn't want to um, have to take a side job or take a job outside of music. Um, and I wasn't entirely sure again, just because there's the scene in Chicago is so big, you know, you, you have to play great. And then you also just have to be there for a while um, to have the opportunities, you know, that might pay a little bit better or sure. Sure. Um, those sorts of things. So, I knew that I had strong connections here. I'd maintained those connections and obviously my family, my mom and dad still live here. So coming back, even when I was in grad school, staying in touch with the scene here. And, um, I just felt that I would, you know, be able to kind of slot back into, uh, some of the musical theater work I'd been doing, um, and teaching private lessons and that sort of stuff. And then getting my jazz group off the ground. And, uh, I just wanted to start working. So I was hungry to, to just get going and felt that this was going to be a great place to do that. And what I definitely think is, you know, I've been back since 2015 and, uh, I, I still love working here. You know, I think, um, there's just a lot of tremendous musicians. There are veteran players here that I really look up to. And 
a lot of young players that are really great as well. So, um, you know, it's a, it's, it's a different kind of scene than Chicago, but it's equally strong. You know, I think the great players here could be great players anywhere. So, um, I'm still finding inspiration, you know, left and right with great players and, um, just creative minds. And, um, yeah. So I also, I just enjoy, enjoy being back and, and, and I'm enjoying my time here. You know, I'm, I'm curious with, um, with the students that you teach and whatnot, or even younger musicians, you know, that have sought you out or, or asked your opinion on it. Um, what's your take on suggesting people on how to find like that next scene, you know, for those that went to the smaller school and they're, or, or they finished their masters and whatnot. And they're, so they're not going to a city specifically because of the university associated with it, you know, because I think a lot of people that still, when they finish their degrees or, or their schooling or, or whatever, they still feel like, Oh, I need to go spend some time in New York City or oh, I need to go check out LA. Like I need to go check out New Orleans. Like what is your what's your approach to that or, or the advice that you give to students? Because I think the other side of it is so many people end up in that large metropolitan area because it's, you know, through their university. Like they went to a Manhattan School of Music or they went to a DePaul or they went to, you know, mm-hmm. um USC out in California, you know, and and that kind of drives them. But what are your thoughts on the other side? I definitely think, you know, I would encourage anybody who's thinking about it to try to spend some time in these places. I think that my time in Chicago, you know, it was only a couple of years, but man, it just left this mark on me that will be there forever. Hmm. Uh, and then back in 2014, I did the Disney All-American College Band. Um, so we spent uh, some time out in, I mean, Orange County. I'm, go- I'm working at Disneyland, but got to meet some of the musicians and spend a little bit of time in L.A., and meet and talk to some of those people as well. Um, so not quite as long or as, you know, expansive as of an experience, but you know, something that I definitely think, uh, left a mark on me, just meeting some of those players that are, you know, the people that sight read soundtracks and those sorts of things. And just experiencing that level of musicianship. Um, I think it's definitely worth trying to spend some time there, even, you know, if it is during school or if it's outside of school, or if it's even only for a month or two of couch surfing, you know, just to um, meet those people. I think that is one of the eye-opening things that, that happened in Chicago and then with meeting some of the people out in L.A. too is just the level of performance, you know, by some of these people. You know, it's just, it's like otherworldly. And I think when you go and move from that stage of being in a music school situation and going into the performing world situation, you know, it goes from those are, you know, there's like a transition, you know, those people are your idols and then those people are your peers and not necessarily that you're going to show up to a gig and be on a gig with some of those top LA studio musicians. But, you know, if you're a working musician, so are they. So that's like, that's the measuring stick. Right. So right. I think, I, I think that's just, you know, it's eye opening and, and inspiring and definitely worth, you know, trying to experience if only for a little bit of time, but, I think the thing that I would say, you know, for where you're trying to go after school is, um, you know, find somewhere where you feel comfortable and where there's people that you want to play with and people that are going to push you um, to de- to continue to develop. And that might be in Chicago or, you know, it could be in L.A. or anywhere, New York or New Orleans. But I think it's all about sometimes it, it gets lost in translation, I think, where, you know, these the end all be all is being in one of these big cities. Um, but 
sometimes people don't consider what they want or what their particular situation might, um, might, you know, what they might need out of that. So I think it's all about finding the best fit for you and, um, but do, you know, continue to look at and seek out those resources in those big cities because, you know, those people are just amazing. And again, they're the people, if how they do the work is how you want to do the work too. So that's what you need to be aspiring to be. Yeah, man. I think that's a really, um, you know, good way to put it. Like I'm in Nashville, man. And so you hear like these horn players that record for whomever and, and just like their facility to play the instrument is like, wow. Okay. Well, we're both theoretically going after the same gigs now, you know? So right. It, it's, uh, some people see that I think as, um, disencouraging, you know, but I, I don't know. I've always seen it as anything, but it's like, okay, well, let's, you know, encouraging and, and pushes you to try and be better. But, you know, that's also something else that, um, there was someone we were talking to, uh, a couple of weeks back that said this coronavirus has kind of also made it seem that way. You know, your idols who you might've thought were like untouchable, you know, and, and like always had the gigs and that's where you strive to be. Or now it, it kind of just brings it in a moment of realization where it's like, Hey, you know, Christian McBride is just as much as of a, of a working musician as we are, you know, we're like, we're all struggling through this and, and it just, right. uh, I don't know, o- opens your perspective a little bit, you know, it doesn't make it seem like you're so much on different echelons, but back to that, that analogy of being at just different points right? Um, in your musical career or whatnot. Um, yeah. but man, so, so we do all these things with trombone playing, you know, you, you get your trombone performance degree, um, you go and you do the Disney band and and all this, where does the writing come in for you? You know, cause that's something that I think so many people, uh, it takes them a while to realize that it's, it's like a separate part of music that you have to shed just as equally and, and, and figure out everything that you like, you know, it's, it's doesn't just come to you all, all the time, you know, like where did that come for you and, and in your development? Sure. Yeah. I think for me, you know, one of the things I started recognizing when I was starting to get into jazz in middle school and high school was turn over a record and you see all these compositions by the band leader. And so it just seemed like that was part of it. And, and mm. you know, that's not always the case, but you turn over Speak No Evil and, you know, Wayne Shorter compositions. And uh, so I think that was just one of the things that I just, I just kind of thought was part of the territory. And, right. um, I also, you know, from a pretty early age, just started messing around with things on the piano and my piano chops back then weren't amazing and they may not still be, you know, terrific, but I can get through things. And, you know, so in high school, I started writing tunes and they made, you know, 16 bars or 12 bars, just trying to write something. And, um, I think it's just a process, you know, just like studying improvisation, you know. I think I said earlier, you take good solos, you take bad solos, you know, you you write good tunes, you write bad tunes, you know, and, and that's right. just all part of the process. And I think that's the part that's sometimes discouraging for people. You know, you write a good tune, the next thing you write is bad. And it's like, well, what, what happened? How did I, you know, <laughs> how did this, you know, I, I thought I was onto something and, and it's right, just part right. of the process. Um, but I definitely also like, I had really uh, inspiring teachers. I, studied composition a little bit at KU with Dan Gailey and he was really good at, you know, pushing me and just giving me different stuff to listen to. And, um, when I would take something in, I remember him telling me back then, you know, I'd bring in a tune and I'd say, yeah, I wrote this, you know, I'm pretty sure it's done. And 
I feel confident about it. And I remember him at times saying just like, I think there's more, you know, and at the time I didn't really know what that meant, but again, just as the music kind of unfolds and evolves and being open to that process or that a tune might change, you know, over the years, maybe you play it one way for a while. And again, it kind of evolves into another thing. So I, um, started taking in tunes to small groups in college and doing that sort of thing. And, um, and then just, it's just, you know, kind of workshopping, seeing what stuff works, what stuff doesn't, you know, did I do a bad horn voicing or what might sound better or, um, and then, yeah, just trying to listen to a ton of different things to inform different styles or, um, you know, just, just anything. But, uh, I think, yeah, you're right. You know, it's, it's something that you have to shed and it's something that you just have to be honest and comfortable with, um, you know, that it's just like improvisation, not a straight t- trajectory of, you know, improvement, you know, you're going to have peaks and valleys and that's okay. And right. it's just a, a lifelong pursuit. But, um, so yeah, I think the music for this particular record, you know, it, uh, for the, a lot of it came about, um, the last couple of years. Um, but you know, some of the tunes definitely evolved over that time again, playing with the band, uh, and you know, you take a chart in and the band plays at once and somebody says, well, what about this? And it just kind of all of a sudden kind of comes into focus a little bit more. So I think that's another part about it too, that we forget is, you know, you, you write music and you take it into a group and put it in front of real musicians and, and they can just take it to another level. Right. Um, so I think that's another part too, that you just need to be open to, uh, other input and advice and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But I think either way through that process, you can kind of find how you like maybe things to sound on a certain tune or the vibe for a certain ensemble or any of that sort of, sort of thing. So, well, man, and it's, it's nuts. Um, this past summer I did a, a program called Ravinia in Chicago, you know, and they mm-hmm. yeah. you do this thing where in the morning you would bring in your originals and you'd be in one setup of bands or whatnot, you know, and in the afternoon you'd be in another setup. So you don't have time to, to make adjustments, uh, adjustments, sorry, from group A to group B, but you know, you can bring the same composition, uh, to two different bands and, you know, it might be because of a lack of clarity in my writing or instruction. There's a very good chance there, you know, but sure, yeah, the, the way that bands interpret it can just be like completely night and day. Um, and chances are it's not even what you originally intended for it to be interpreted. And it's not a bad thing, right. you know, it just informs you and, and, and makes you go back and be like, wow, okay, either that was really cool or wow, that was not at all what I tried to do, you know, adjust it. Right. Um, right. So obviously, you know, we're, we're looking at like a, a big key part of writing, you know, um, that I would agree with you on is, is, is bringing it to people and actually playing it through when it comes down mm-hmm. to, to creating a tune. Are you one of those people that, um, goes, okay, you know, I'm going to write 30 minutes every day. And like, you, you just, you like, you have your writing time and you get your ideas and, you know, at the end of the 30 minutes you're done or, or do you like wait for it to come, come to you almost more or, or is it, you know, is it from the horn first or from the harmony first? Like, where does that balance lie for you? Because I find with so many people, it's, it's, uh, drastically different as to how they get the results there. Yeah. I think, uh, for me, it's, it's been different and and maybe even on this particular record that 
each tune might have come from a different method of writing. Hmm. I think it it stages in the past. You know, I did, I did the the practice of I'm going to write for 20 minutes a day, and I'm just going to pen to paper. It's never going to see the light of day, but I'm going to write something down. Right. And then I've done things where the melody comes first, or the bass line, or um, you know, the whole thing where you're in bed at night, and all of a sudden you just start hearing a tune. Um, <laughs> yeah, we don't tell for, people about those moments, but yeah, I know what moment you're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting is Sunflower Song, the title track of this record, I remember laying down one night, and I had the bass line in my head. It's in 3-4, and it's a 10-bar phrase. And I just remember thinking, like, okay, yeah, that's nice. And so I went to sleep, and I had this really strange experience where I started hearing the music in my dream, and then I saw myself writing the music in my dream on paper. That's and very like, weird, man. <laughs> and I could hear the tune just kind of like come into focus and I could hear it all as it was, you know, progressing. And yeah. And then like I woke up the next day and I wrote it all down and that's the tune. Man, and so that's nuts. It's just really strange because I think, you know, inspiration can come in a number of different ways. And again, just like anything, you have to be open to it. You know, whenever that moment comes, you know, whether sometimes that moment is a deadline, you know, right. And that's a great, great inspiration. Sometimes it's melody. Sometimes, I mean, it can be anything. And then, you know, sometimes it's just creative, you know, reading certain books. I found that when I read a this one particular novel, like it, the, the novel was so creative that I think it just like fed my brain creativity. And I was just like living in this world of just like creative genius by this author. And then that just made sense to me. And, and so that in that particular time, the music just flowed very naturally. So I think it's, you know, waiting for inspiration, you know, can be tough because you can be waiting forever. You know, it's just like practice. You know, if you wait until you're inspired to practice, it's too late. Right. Right. Uh, you just, you just got to do it. And, but sometimes, you know, you just have to be open to all these different, you know, possible streams of inspiration. And, uh, and then when you, when you get that moment, you know, fortunately, I have a wife that's very understanding, but, you know, we might just be sitting there and I just get up and go to the piano and she knows like, oh, well, he's he's gone. He'll be there for a little couple <laughs> hours. And yeah. uh, you know, so yeah. what what is your because I think, um, you know, like I like I agree with you. I'm here with all of that. I'm mostly mind blown right now that you remember, like thought of something before you slept and remembered it when you woke up, because I know if that ever happens to me, like that idea is just gone. And I'll never yeah. find it again. Um, but how do you, because I think for most people, the most difficult thing is like, you know, we're obviously our, our worst critics. Um, and they start writing something and they kill the idea before they let it even get to, you know, half of where it could be. You know, right. like like they're already writing it off as bad or the same thing with... Yep improvising you know they they just think that something was bad and then you know if someone else happens to be there and hear it they can just be like well no you know if you just like tweaked it this way or like repeated the melody this way or or, or some things like it could be incredible you know right. just because it's not ben wendell playing the most virtuosic thing you've ever heard doesn't mean it's bad so like right. how do you how did you learn to work through that and how do you advise people to work through that themselves because so i mean so many things die at the end of 
four measures and it's, it's possibly never yeah. revisited. Yeah. I think in improvisation and composition, it's sort of the same. And I tell my improvisation students this all the time, like, you know, failure is part of the process and you just have to be okay with that. And it's also about how you define failure, you know, when mm -hmm. it's, yeah, I wrote a bad four measures of music. I'm like, well, that's not really failure, but you know, you know, that's just kind of the, the phrase that I usually use. And I think that's just part of it. You know, I think it's true. Like from my classical training too, you know, we're our own worst critics. You have to record yourself because if you, if you do it all on the fly, like if you're analyzing while you play your orchestral excerpts, like you're just going to analyze it to death, but right. well, you might record it and listen to it and you're like, Oh, it's fine. So, um, I think it's important to just know that it's part of the process. Uh, and also, you know, again, I had great composition teachers who inspired me and fed me, you know, just fuel to keep going. And then when I lived in Chicago, I had a, uh, my roommate was a tenor saxophone player and lives in Omaha, uh, Andrew Janik. And he's a composer too. And we, he had a house band at Phyllis's Musical Inn on Monday nights. And I was, I got to play in that quintet and we would take in originals every week and do a house set and then open up for a jam. And he was really inspirational because he would, you know, I would write something. Yeah. Like you would say, maybe I didn't think was great. And he'd be like, well, let's just take it in. Like, yeah. You know, let's just see what happens. And then, yeah, you take it in and you realize like, oh, the stakes are pretty low. No one's going to die. Like <laughs> it's just, and then you give it to people that are great and they, you know, add their creative genius to it. And all of a sudden it's like, well, okay, now it's not so bad. So I think that was an important part of the process too, was just having people that were like, Take it in and have it read. And then and then you can decide. But don't write it off too soon. Because uh, even something like a chord voicing, you know, it's like something you might be struggling with and be like, oh, the voicings are just all wrong and I can't figure it out. And it's going to clash with the melody. But you take it to somebody who's really great and they're going to be like, oh, we'll try this or try this or try this or try this. And like, they'll just have a ton of options. And all of a sudden it just comes, you know, comes into focus. And it's like, wow, it does work. Right. Right. So, um, again, I think it's just being open to the process and understanding every piece you write isn't going to win a Grammy and that's fine. You know, just continue to write and, um, surround yourself with great people. I think that's a big part of it too. Um, people that inspire you, people that encourage you and kind of what we were talking about a little bit earlier too, you know, personnel is an orchestrational choice. Yeah. You know, who you, who you hire for, to play a gig and how they shape the music. That's, I mean, it, it makes a big difference. You give it to somebody else and they're going to shape it in a different way. So I think that, first of all, that's eye opening as a composer just because of all the options. And it may inform like, okay, yeah, I do need to be more specific with my instructions if I want a certain idea. And that's an important thing. Um, but like as a band leader as well, you know, how do you want the music shaped? So then that kind of might inform. You know, oh, yeah, I really like how this person does it. I think they, you know, their vibe or their sound or their, you know, their approach just really lends itself to the writing style. And then that can kind of help cultivate an ensemble vibe. Um, so there, you know, there's a lot of things I think that overlap in this whole process. And um, it's just definitely something that I would encourage people to experiment with. And I think when I started composing, too, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. You know, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to write a 16 bar tune. It was like, well, I don't know where to start, but you just start. 
And I think that can be a, a daunting task for people too, because you want something structured like an assignment or just some sort of confines to operate within. But, you know, I'd encourage anyone who's interested, just sit down and start, you know, and see what happens. Don't wait for permission. Just see what you can do and, and, and know that that's just the, the beginning of the road. So. Right. And man, I think you hit uh, like a really important thing with just talking about like the voicings, you know, because often the, the first person I would take a tune to, you know, would be a piano player. And, you know, mm -hmm. you would write something, you'd be like, wow, this sounds awful. And then you change a chord and then they go back and they're like, well, they suggest the chord you just took off of it, but they voice right. it in such a way, you know, it sounds night and day than my basic, you know, root seven, three, five, nine or, or whatever, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, man, it's, it's nuts. So, you know, and, yeah. and this might just be my nerdiness at this point, but how do you, how have you worked on balancing it all, you know, from doing classical trombone to doing your, your gigs that are your, your bread gigs to your artistic sure. endeavors, to your, to your writing, to, because, you know, it's so easy to have those days where you just get caught up in technique or doing lip slurs for hours, you know, or yeah. so easy to get caught up in doing your orchestral stuff or like going weeks without just shedding improvisation. Like, how do you find the structure there? Um, to have your personal pra practice on top of your work, on top of your teaching and everything. Because I think that's something else that um, can hinder a lot of young musicians that could be working a lot more efficiently or, or, you know, and whatnot and seeing a lot more success earlier on in their careers. Yeah. I think the thing that I think as core and essential to to my approach to trombone is just try to be a great trombone player, you know, mm -hmm. so that, you know, that's the core of the practice every day. Right. Because if you have a good sound, good technique, good flexibility, you can be very flexible, you know, and go and play a brass quintet gig or go and play a salsa gig or go and play a theater gig. If you've got that core essential set of skills. Um, so I think that informs a lot of the way that I practice. Um, but I do try to keep, you know, improvisation in the mix. Um, and any doubles, you know, if I'm playing a musical, I do a fair bit of musical theater. And when I've got one of those, you know, I need to make sure I've got that. So maybe that takes the place, you know, tuba and bass trombone takes the place of improvisation for a week or two. Right. So, um, but again, I find that, you know, even in those times, I try to be creative with my practice. So I may not be shedding. And like when you're playing a musical, you know, however many shows, five, six, seven, eight a week, you got to make sure your chops are fresh at night. You know, you can't go to work and be tired. So you have to find creative ways to, to get to this other material as well. So trying ways of, you know, maybe it's, it's long tone voice leading through a, you know, a jazz tune, you know, it's not necessarily improvisation, right. but engaging that thought process. Um, Things like that where you can just get creative and and uh, still visit the material, but maybe not as in-depth as you would if you were going to a jazz gig later that week. Right, right. So, um, it, you know, I think it's also just listen to, especially when you're in college, you know, and, and as much as you can, listening to all sorts of different kinds of music and being open to it. You know, the way I approach it is I love playing music. so. There's just a lot of music that I like to play and want to play. And um, 
when you have that sound in your ear, it's easier to be flexible in certain situations um, and adapt to a Jerry Hay horn chart versus, you know, chamber music versus playing in a pit orchestra. It's all slightly different approaches. But if you have that, that sound in your ear and know that approach, you've got that, you know, like you're, you, you have the right thing in mind to make it all happen when it needs to happen. So. Right. 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 Man, that's yeah. the biggest thing too. So many people get caught up in, I, I think at least so many people get caught up in like trying to stay within their own lane, if you will, you know, right. and I don't know, that's never been, uh, something that, you know, obviously we all have our specific interests and, and, and love right. certain things, but at the end of the day, you know, I, I play trumpet, you play trumpet, like we like playing music, you know, and there's music right. that we like and, and music that we want to be a part of and then other music, you know, it's not bad. It's just, it's not for me. Uh, you know, so I don't, I don't know. I think getting too confined is just going to be limiting to, uh, in the long run. Yeah. I, th I, I definitely view it in a similar way where I'm a trombone player and I mean, yeah. I would definitely say jazz is my main thing, but I'm a trombone player. So, you know, I'm playing in this new brass septet, this classical brass septet and it's great because I love playing and it's, it's like, you know, we got together back in February and played through a Gabrielli you know, thing. And it was like, oh, it's been a long time since I've done this, but man, I really like this, you know? And just, I, I think, yeah, I just love playing the instrument. And so if, if someone has a specific interest, that's great for, you know, but I think it's again, different for everyone. So, um, but advice to, you know, students and things. And I always tell my students is just be open to it because it's fun. It's music. And also it might pay, you know, so it might be income. <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. That's a very important thing to think about when you, you know, when you get done is like, I think it's people view it as often as like that triangle, you know, is it, is it the pay? Is it the time or is it artistic? And you know, you can only have two out of a three, right. it, but that's, that's it, man. So, um, yeah, well, okay. I got one more question and it might be the most difficult sure. one we've covered so far. Um, okay. what do you do when you don't do music? Like what? What are your hobbies and your interests that are not trombone? How do you escape this world and and just uh, you know, mental reset or whatnot? Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, you know, I think I definitely recognize that that is a thing that probably I would benefit from. <laughs> um, and I I definitely try different things sometimes. You know, there was a time where a couple years ago I got oil paints and was doing some of the Bob Ross oil painting. Yeah. And then just oil painting in general, after I kind of learned a little bit of how that works. And, um, you know, I think I just come back to music and I, it just, I become like a workaholic and it's, I just love it. You know, it's just it for me. Yeah. Um, so I do try and, you know, I know that I've had several people in the past <laughs> and even recently say, you know, yeah, I think you could, you know, benefit from having a hobby or I'm like, yeah, I think you're right. But there's so much in music. And I think right. that's the thing that keeps me coming back to it is it's like we've talked about thus far, you know, there's improvisation, there's composition, there's, you know, writing educational resources and materials. There's, you know, learning about one of the projects I've tried to have during this kind of quarantine is learning a little bit more about recording and trying to be conscious of, you know, every day. Okay. Let me try something a little bit different and recording myself in practice just to mess with some dials and, and settings and things, try to dial that in. And, and then, you know, there's just, there's just so much 
and I just love it. So, you know, it's just amazing. And that doesn't even, you know, we, we didn't even talk about like listening to music, but right. then there's that side of things too. It's like, man, I just, when you find a great record, it's like, you know, life is good. So, man, I hear you. It's, yeah, I hear you. It's something that I've been thinking about recently, you know, because I, there are other things I'll try and do, but I don't ever see them as a hobby, you know, but you'll be talking to someone that doesn't, that's not in our world, you know, and they'll be like, mm-hmm. uh, what are you doing today? I'm just like, oh, I just got some work. Got to finish it. You know, something with this. And it starts to hit them that there really isn't a day off. And they think, you know, you're going to get burned out like you're, and you very well might get burnt out eventually, you know, and there will be those right. days where you just can't. But uh, it just kind of something I think that, I, you, you know, we remember to take for granted that like we're fortunate to be able to do something that we, we love and doesn't feel like work. You know, we don't need a Saturday right. or Sunday off because this is just, it's what we, you know, what we, we would be doing on those days off is something music related. Um, yeah. 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 I, I, I think that's just it. You know, they'll go weeks and weeks and I don't take a day off and there, there will become a time. It's like, okay, I really need to take a day for my brain, you know, or my chops or whatever, but then I'm ready to just get back to it. And I, I just, you know, I think that's something that I come back to a lot is I just love, I love playing trombone. I love music. I love this the whole journey and like again this is an exciting time with the you know debut record coming out it's like super exciting but then it's also you know i look like okay so this is chapter one you know it's like you know this is just the start so that you know in some ways it's daunting but in other ways i'm just like as excited to just keep going and just keep digging and and continue you know making music and making friends in different cities and traveling and just getting inspired to create more. Man, it's, it's nuts that you phrase it. Cause like, you know, I think people also forget too, sometimes that you recorded this album in January, you know, which means you had been putting some thought into it beforehand and now it's coming out in, in August. And for some that's, you know, that's a quicker turnaround, but now it's already like thinking about the next creative thing that's going on, you know, cause now we've just been working on the the business side of it. Um, for so long. And now you're just like, okay, man, like, you know, you're writing new tunes, you're shedding Trump, like that life doesn't stop. So it's already on to the, the next project. I mean, the next pro, you know, and it, it can get addictive almost. I, yeah, I was just going to use that word. Like, I think going through this process and, you know, you guys have been so great to work with that, you know, it's like you get, you get the bug. It's like, oh, this is pretty fun. I'm really <laughs> enjoying this. Yeah. It's especially and, uh, when, you think it's so hard. Well, I mean, it is hard. Don't let me belittle it at all. It's still difficult to do, but it seems like right. unattainable until you do it that first time. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, this is the first large scale recording project I've done. I did a couple kind of projects when I was in undergrad, just a couple of times where I was like, okay, end of this semester, I'm going to write three tunes. I'm going to record three tunes. So I go through the process and start to learn to understand it. Then doing the same thing a couple of years later with some more tunes. But this is, you know, when it's a full record and, you know, it's represents kind of a step forward in your career and it's just a different thing. It is a little bit daunting. And I think, again, that's a fine line that, you know, people maybe discourages them from recording is, you know, you, you want to wait until you're like we were talking about with writing and, and as well, but wait until you're inspired or wait until you've got something. I think there's a, there's a balance of like wanting to find your voice. And for me, that was something that was important, like finding my compositional voice where things sounded organic and natural and working well together. My improvisational voice, kind of the same thing, but also just not like continuing to just wait. 
And for me, there was a moment kind of when we were, the band was performing, you know, last year where the light kind of just went off and it was like, yeah, this is it. It's time. We got to go. So, you know, it's just that fine balance of wait and seize the opportunity or create the opportunity. Um, but you know, it's, it's been great. So I think I'm excited and, and inspired to just keep going. Yeah, man. I know we're excited. So where can people, uh, you know, keep up with you during this time? Uh, you know, unless you got tons of gigs coming out, in which case kudos to you, but you know, the social <laughs> media, like what, what are you doing? Are, are you got YouTube videos coming up, uh, other podcast talks, master classes, you know, what's going on, uh, before the release coming up? Sure. So yeah, you can, my website is brianscarboroughmusic.com. And then I'm also on Facebook and Instagram, Brian Scarborough Music, uh, each of those. Um, so I'm trying to make sure that I keep, you know, keep doing things there. And uh, I've also got some other projects. I have a jazz etude project that I started um, back in December, releasing jazz etudes and kind of an accompanying note sheet twice a month on the first and third Monday of each month. Uh, during quarantine, I also started a few weeks ago, something I called the master something simple series. Hmm. And that was just cause I was kind of bored and thinking about my students and thinking about people in general, just, you know, finding something to practice and really work on mastering some simple concept or idea and just like five minutes of your practice every day. Um, and then I've got a couple of book projects at various stages of finished. Uh, one is done and, uh, was, Theoretically going to be coming out soon, but this whole situation hit, so I'm not really sure what the situation is there. Yeah. And another that's like halfway done, so that's something that, again, as there are no gigs on the horizon, something I'm dedicating time to right now is just trying to contribute um, to that project and try to get that to a, the finish line. Uh, so, But again, I, I keep all this stuff up to date on social media, on my website, and um, yeah, I think the it was my new year's resolution this year. It was just not the most eloquent wording, but make more stuff. <laughs> um, because I think, you know, I got a little reflective last year of just like, you know, why am I here? And I think the answer was to create things, you know, whether it's music or resources or, you know, just make more stuff. So that's been the, the guiding kind of principle this year. And, and right now I'm hand knitting a blanket, you know, it's like, I'm going to make this and it's not the most exciting thing in the world, but it's something that I am making just because I, I feel better when I'm making things. That's something I found out about myself. So, um, something I'm trying to stay inspired to do during this, this, uh, extended stay at home and hopefully, hopefully make, you know, maybe making some useful materials for people out there that, that are looking for those. So, man, I, I, I think that's the best way to put it, though, even if it's not elegant, you know, it's just make more stuff. Uh, you know, everyone yeah. gets caught up in waiting until they feel like they're in that. And we've talked about it, you know, like that right moment. Like it's my playing is there. Like I can make man, just don't you don't do that. You know, I get caught up in it all the time, man. It's just you got to. Like even with Miles Davis, you know, he made kind of blue and, and, and bitches brew and all this other records, but you can go all the way back and and trace when he wasn't sounding the same way he was in 59, you know, it's, it's all about your, yep. your growth and you know, don't feel like just because you put out one record of it, that's going to be the, the ending tale of, of, of your playing history right there. You know, just make more stuff. Right. Yeah. I, th I understand the, the, you know, it is daunting because 
you know, how many gigs do you play in, in whatever city you're located in? And people know like, oh yeah, this person plays kind of in this way. And when you do a release, you know, your style is being sort of narrowed down to how you play on a day or a day and a half. And then that's how most everyone is going to experience your music for the first time. Right. So there is a, a daunting level to it, but I think, you know, it's just about being courageous as well and knowing, yeah, you know, this might, this is how I am sounding right now. And, and it is just the beginning and it might drastically change in a year or two or 10 and that's okay. And right. it's probably good. Then you have that, you know, that, um, recorded work to look back on and, uh, just kind of compare and contrast as you grow. But it, you know, I think it's just about, and that's another thing I would encourage people. If you're, if you're considering this process is, you know, be courageous, you know, take the step. I think what I've found is you guys have been so encouraging to work with, especially when I've been, you know, flustered and sent a, you know, a flurry of emails as I've been confused. It's like, there are people that are here to help you. Um, there are people that are going to inspire you. And that's outside of members of your band or your engineer or your family and friends. Like, you know, there's a network of people that want you to succeed and will help you do so. Right. Right. Man, so, what's a, what's a good, yeah. what a good positive note to end up on. And, uh, man, it's, I know we're excited for it. It's, it's a couple months down the road, but August 7th, yeah. uh, 2020 is going to be, uh, the debut release and, you know, congrats again, Brian. And, you know, hopefully, you. uh, the book goes well and the next book goes well and the blanket goes well and, you know, just keep <laughs> making more stuff, man. And, uh, we'll catch you around next time.